is a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. It is a wild Thursday edition of Brandon's World, making up for my absence on Tuesday. Now, I was out troubling on Tuesday, did not get a chance to record Brandon's World. You already know we're in cooperation with the one and only Vulcan's Live. You already know all my social media ones are in the description below. Listen. I'm going to get to USC Colorado. I'm going to get to WWE cutting a lot of people and moving SmackDown from Fox to the USA Network. I'm going to get to my week four NFL picks and best bets. I was 11 and 5 last week in the money line, but I was 5 or 5 in best bets. I'm red hot over the last two weeks in best bets. I'm going to get to all things NFL, wrestling, college, football. But, ladies and gentlemen, Jim and I would love to put together. Today's show, I am now turning everything around because Damian Lord has been traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, this is a three-team trade. I'm going to break it down. First, Sham Sarami of course, Stadium Network. Here is the official terms of the deal. Milwaukee, they received Damian Lord. Portland in return. They get Drew Holiday. From Milwaukee, but they also get DeAndre Aid from Phoenix, as well as a 2029 first round Milwaukee pick, a Milwaukee pick swap, as long as as well as Tomate Camera, and then Phoenix gets Nurkic, Nazir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen, who of course is another shooter to kind of round out that bench because they do have Bradley Beal, Devin Booker. Kevin Durant on that team. Okay, so we are not talking a ton of NBA on Brandon's World. Almost none, really, since the Damian Lower news kind of broke out a couple months ago since the end of the NBA Finals. NBA season kind of wound it down. My thoughts on this is, first of all, whoa. Uh, there were a lot of reports out there that Giannis Antetokounmpo was leading towards leaving Milwaukee. We know Milwaukee had the meltdown, the disaster, the loss in the first round of the Heat. We know how well the Heat played. We all know Boston's still there. The Cavs are a young and up-and-coming team. The East is definitely turning into more of a gauntlet than the Western Conference. But Giannis is, you know, one, two, some people put him three in the top three best player in the world. There were rumors out there he was looking to go to New York or L.A. He was not happy with the progress of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, now you get a bona fide 31, 32-year-old superstar-like player in Damian Lower. He has a one's game, excuse me, he has a one's uh, mind. Sometimes, in my opinion, a twos game where sometimes he wants to be the guy. He's not always the guy. He's going to have a great chance here. This is a dynamic duo and the best duo, without a doubt, in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, from Dane's camp, he wanted to go to Miami because of all their bench players that they had to go with Jimmy Butler and Ben Manavaya. But you lose Gabe Vincent to the Lakers. You lose Max Struess to Cleveland, both in free agency. And all of a sudden now, Kyle Lowry getting older. Without Damian Lower now, Miami, they're tough, they're gritty, they play well in the postseason. But this is a fantastic combo because Damian Lowered and Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
Yes, Giannis does have one championship, but again, it was over Chris Paul and the uh, Phoenix Suns, which, of course, Chris Paul is now in Golden State. He's trying to win a ring. Damian Lillard has not won a ring. Giannis has, and Giannis has struggled in the last couple of postseasons since winning that ring. They're going to try to do this together alongside Chris Middleton. They obviously still have Brooke Lopez. So I like the starting unit for Milwaukee. I think the biggest question will be, is their death going to be able to hold up? But man, that is nuclear firepower when you can get Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo on the same side of the court. And by the way, they play well together. We talk about the NBA all the time now. It's about chemistry and fit. Not necessarily about talent like we saw with Miami and Denver. They may not have been the two most talented teams, but they were the deepest team. And they had one star. They had a, or they had one superstar, excuse me. They had one star and then a bunch of good role players. For, for uh, Portland, obviously, we know how good Simons is. We know they have a lot of guards. They needed a big... They essentially swapped Yurkic for DeAndre Ayton, who wanted to get out of Phoenix. They do get only one first-round pick, which to me, Portland got players. They're saying, listen, we're in the Western Conference. We're in there with the likes of Phoenix, with the likes of Denver, with the likes of Golden State, with the likes of the Lakers. The Elegants are coming up. Dallas, obviously, with Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving. We got a lot of players here. We just can't afford a tank. We got to get players. We got to compete. We have a young roster. So I think Portland is going to go for it. And I think Portland has a chance now, obviously, alongside Scoot Anderson as well, to lead them into the new era of Blazers basketball. It's going to be very interesting. For Phoenix, they got some good role players again to clear out that bench, but it's going to all be about can Devin Booker, can Bradley Beal, can Kevin Durant stay healthy? Again, I reiterate back to the summer, I always felt like Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, they play the same type of game. I'm not sure if they both fit together on the court, and all three of those guys, Booker, Durant, Beal, they all have injury history. But now, by the way, Phoenix has a new coach. They have new new ownership. You know, Monty Williams no longer there. DeAndre Aiden, you know, is done pouting. Uh, he gets off to a fresh new start in Portland with Chauncey Billups, who's going to be able to coach Scoot Anderson and lead a young Blazers team to a potential playoff spot next year. And obviously, Milwaukee is thinking championship or bust. And they are going to be tied to, though, in my opinion. And they might have to drop Chris Middleton. I think they're going to try to build around Dame and Giannis. Uh, Miami tries to build around, you know, with uh, Jimmy Butler and Bam. Uh, Denver tries to build around with Jokic and Jamal Murray. Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Those two max contracts. And then you load up your, your other, you know, sort of players with depth guys, guys that can shoot sort of 3 and D like players. But I think for now, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Cleveland, they're all in that mix. And Philadelphia, too, obviously. Jamal Embiid stays healthy. Who knows the situation with James Harden? Uh, but Philly's going to always be in that mix. That's a very good Eastern Conference. And I'm glad for Dave. This will be the best chance Damian Lord has to win a championship. And he's not going to a big city. He's not going to Miami yet. He goes to a city that he's sort of used to. He's used to being in a, in a small like city in Portland, not a lot of media coverage. 
in Milwaukee. He's going to be buried, and Damon Giannis can kind of be the new Wisconsin sports stars where they're in Rockers, now in New York. Wowza. Damian Lillard, a buck. I think it's a good move for all three teams. I thought all three teams got value out of it. And no, Miami did not get Damian Lillard. A poor one, though, in my opinion, did their due diligence. They they sniffed it out. They looked for better offers. They weren't just going to give in to Damian Lillard's trade demands like we've seen with so many superstars in today's current NBA. They got valued out their team. And for that, I applaud the Portland Trailblazers. And good luck to the one and only Damian Lower. Let's see if he can win that championship now. That's elude them. And can he get to that superstar caliber? He's going to need to win a championship to do so, in my opinion. But a huge move. Damian Lower to the Milwaukee Bucks. Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes taking on the USC Trojans this Saturday. Noon Eastern kickoff. Big noon on Fox. Now, you guys know that, you know, over the last few years, I've talked about how college football really does need big games. And it's the reason why I've been for, you know, the Pac-12 obviously disbanding, a lot of the Pac-12 teams moving to the Big Ten, Texas and Oklahoma moving to the USC from the Big 12, because I really do think that college football has a big game problem. Now, it's been diminished a little bit this year because the Pac-12 in its last season ever uh, is as good as ever. And we have as good of a quarterback class in college football that we've ever had. All people want to talk about is obviously, um, you know, Caleb Williams out of USC, Drake May out of North Carolina. But there's NX from Washington. There's the kid from Oregon, Bo Nix. There's uh, Shador Sanders from Colorado. There's Quinn Ewers from Texas. There's so much talent that could come out and go in first round to the NFL draft. That college football this year is as even as is as even as ever. And one thing that Deion Sanders has done as the head coach of Colorado, he has immediately put Boulder and by virtue Denver, Colorado, essentially on the map overnight with that opening week. One statement game when they went in its ECU on the road, they beat them. Then they hammered Nebraska in week two. Now, last week they took on Oregon, and Oregon obviously has a lot more talented players. I think I think Oregon was motivated uh, by Colorado coming on their logo. A lot like how Colorado was motivated by Colorado State coming onto their logo a couple weeks ago. But Oregon, obviously, uh, down into the game, they 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 wanted the folks that are in Russell. And the one thing that Oregon has that USC doesn't have, I believe, is a little bit of a better defense. And so for Colorado and USC, I hope this is going to be a very interesting game. You know, obviously, the first couple of weeks, there was a lot of talk about Shador Sanders winning the Heisman Trophy. What he's been doing is incredible because we all know, um, obviously, Colorado's uh, offensive and defensive lines are not up to par with the receiving quarter that they have, and they have not looked great since Travis Hunter went out with that injury. But we all know Colorado's recruitment is obviously the skill positions, their weaknesses on the offensive and defensive lines. Well, USC, through the transfer portal, through the recruiting this year, have done a better job with that. They've upgraded their offensive line. They've upgraded their defensive line. Uh, they are getting more pressure on the quarterback 
but they're still not a great defense. They're missing tackles in open space. They're giving up points left and right to Arizona. And we all know Lincoln Riley's history, whether he was at Oklahoma or whether he was at USC. We all know how smart and clever of a genius he is as an offensive coordinator, working with quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, like Iowa Murray, like Jalen Hurts, and now, you know, obviously like Caleb Williams, who is going to go the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft. But we all know Lincoln Riley's history is offense, offense, offense. They don't recruit a lot of defense. They're going to score people. That's just the way Lincoln Riley's teams have always been. The question for Colorado is going to be, can Shador Sanders, can that passing game, can that Colorado offense, are they going to be able to move the ball? Is that offensive line going to be able to hold up? I think in in Colorado, in Denver, they're going to be able to run the football no more. They're going to be able to keep it close. The question really comes down to, are they going to be able to get enough stops on USC? I think Colorado's offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, former head coach at Kent State, Obviously, my my older monitor, I think he's really smart. I think Colorado will play well offensively. I'm just not sure they're going to be able to stop the USC offense. I think that this is a potential 45-42, even more than that. USC has the most points scored in the country on average at 55 points a game. You know, this could be even a 52-45 type game. We're not going to see a lot of punting, I don't think. I think we're going to see a lot of going for it on fourth down. I don't think we're going to see a lot of defensive scores. The over-under, you know, could be at or over 100 points, potentially on the scoring. Like, I think these two teams are just going to go back and forth all day long, and it really could come down to who gets the ball last. I know USC is over a 20-point favorite. Not going to be including than Brandon's best bets because I don't bet a lot of college football, uh, as I talk about. You know, we'll talk about the big games here when they get in October and November. But at the end of the day, I do feel that Colorado keeps it close. I think they cover. I think USC ends up winning by about a touchdown at 10 points. You know, who knows? It could be a 17-point game by the fourth quarter. Colorado gets a garbage-time touchdown. It may not be as close as what the score indicates towards the end. But I think at least in the first half, it's going to be a really close game. I think Shador Sanders, Colorado are going to play well. And I'm really interested to watch because now I think, you know, we all think Colorado's national championship hopes are kind of over. You know, we all thought, you know, how great of a story it would be if they went undefeated and potentially snuck in. But with this being the last year of the big four, obviously, in college football, Ohio State with a big win over Notre Dame on Saturday, you kind of feel like Michigan's going to be in there. You kind of feel like Georgia's going to be in there. Obviously, that Michigan-Ohio State game, you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is going to be huge. But as it seems to always be the case, it's always that fourth team in question. And I think this year, obviously with Caleb Williams potentially going into the NFL next year, this is USC's best shot. They know it. And in order to do so, in order to have some kind of, you know, glitch in the system, they are a better football team overall than Colorado. And there's more pressure on USC to win this game, which is why I ultimately believe they will. I want to talk about two huge stories that took place in the WWE, both occurring on Thursday. The first one being, of course, SmackDown is leaving broadcast cable. It is leaving Fox in October 2024 to return back 
to the USA Network, which of course hosted the Blue Brand from 2016 to 2019 at the beginning of what was the second WWE brand split. Now, it's very interesting because WWE got $1.4 billion, which is a massive number over five years, uh, to not only the broadcast, but return to the USA Network. But with that move, WWE Monday Night Raw and NXT will reportedly be leaving the USA Network, which is a very interesting decision. Now, we all know media rights deals are very controversial and are happening right now all over the sports landscape. The NBA is negotiating their media rights deal. And WWE obviously was in the middle of negotiating SmackDown. Now they're negotiating Raw and NXT, which reportedly has multiple suitors. Now, in this day and age of technology and the internet, not only is there broadcast television, which is obviously, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Obviously, there's all the cable networks, but then you also have streaming. And WWE, as we know, was one of the first organizations way back in 2014 to take the WWE Network and put it on a streaming platform. Many people at the time thought that would eventually be Raw, SmackDown, and nobody even thought of NXT being a legitimate third brand at that point. But that's where people would generally thought Raw and SmackDown would go, as obviously cable nine numbers decline, streaming numbers increase. To that point, it has not happened. Now, we know WWE has had a great relationship with NBC Universal. It's been hosting Raw for damn near the last 20 years and more than that. Obviously, 1993 to 2000 and then 2005 to now. So outside of a five-year period, Raw has been on the USA Network for pretty much its whole life. We know SmackDown has had different KO channels, the CW, My Network TV, Sci-Fi, USA, Fox. We know SmackDown has always moved around more than Raw. Uh, but listen, I love the WWE on Fox era. I understand for Fox's sake, they feel like they didn't get enough money out of the deal uh, for what they were paying for. Yet SmackDown still won the 1849 demographic. They still had great total viewers. They were dominating the night on Friday night. But reportedly, I think Fox feels like you know they can get some more college basketball, some more college football uh, and renewing the WWE rights just wasn't up their sleeve. So WWE decides to leave broadcast television every single week, but they're still going to be on broadcast four times a year, one per quarter with NBC as a part of this NBC Universal Agreement. It sounds like they're going to be bringing back Saturday night's main event, which I called for when Fox returned uh, with SmackDown in 2019. It did not happen. I'm glad to see this change. The interesting part about this, as I said, you know, there's broadcast, uh, there's cable, there's streaming. Where does Raw and NXT end up? It sounds like WWE wants to package them. You know, I don't think they want to have three different TV partners. I think two sounds like the realistic move. So because of that, I do not think it's going to end up on Amazon Prime. Um, you know, in my opinion, uh, I think that Amazon Prime would want Raw, but obviously it sounds like that um, that they would not obviously want NXT. So maybe you do go back to NBC Universal and try to negotiate something, put NXT on the USA Network. 
Uh, but I do think that Raw and NXT both are going to end up on cable, and I think they're going to end up on FX. And I do think it's possible that NXT potentially moves nights from Tuesday to Wednesday night. Once again, goes Ed Ed with AEW Dynamite as NXT has now gained momentum as WWE has put some main roster stars like Becky Lynch, like Dominic Mysterio uh, on NXT to make it feel like a legitimate third brand again. And, you know, I think the whole conversation around Monday Night Raw is that WWE is, believe it or not, open to moving Raw off Monday nights. It does sound like that Friday night SmackDown is going to stay on Friday nights on the USA Network. WWE had said in the past they are open to SmackDown moving Friday nights, but now I think with this UFC-TKO merger, it sounds like they want SmackDown Friday, UFC Saturday, potentially a WWE premium live event, maybe one of the smaller premium live events on a Sunday. Of course, they just announced they're going to Australia for Elimination Chamber February 2024. That is a great move. I cannot wait for that show. Um, But in general, again, it sounds like SmackDown Friday, UFC, pay-per-view Saturday, potentially a B-level WWE premium live event on a Sunday. Raw-wise, there has been talk of Raw, yes, actually moving off Monday nights. Raw has been on Monday nights since its 30-year inception in 1993. But we all know football now is almost bigger than ever. They're getting crushed by Monday Night Football. They're getting record low viewership. Uh, a match between, I think it was Tommaso Ciampa and Giovanni Vinci this past Monday night on Raw had the lowest viewed watch rate for a Raw match live in its history. And Raw is not a bad show. They're doing a lot right now with Jey Uso, with Cody and Sammy and the Judgment Day and Rollins and Nakamura. Obviously, on the SmackDown side, we got the Bloodline. We got LA Knight. We got everything going on with Asuka, Io, Sky, Charlotte, and the women's division. There's a lot happening right now on both brands. It's just obviously SmackDown. There's no football competition. They have Roman Reigns. There's broadcast on Fox. There's a lot going right now on SmackDown. We're raw. You know, has to deal with, with obviously, uh, NBA playoff coverage in, in, you know, May and June. Uh, they have to deal with football on Monday night that SmackDown does not have to deal with. So there's a lot of competition right now on Raw, and that's why moving nights seems more realistic than what previously thought. Now, I do think that Raw and NXT are going to actually end up with Disney, uh, but I don't think Raw is going to go to ABC, though that could certainly be a possibility. Though if they do that, they're definitely going to have to move Raw off Monday nights because ABC is going to be simulcasting, you know, a lot of the Monday night football games during the fall. I actually think, and this was a rumor a little while back, I think Raw and NXT both end up on FX. And I think you have Raw Monday, NXT Wednesday going end-to-end once again with Dynamite and then SmackDown Friday with the occasional Saturday night's main event going end-to-end with Collision. That means you have WWE programming, you know, uh, NXT Wednesday, SmackDown Friday, going up against Rampage, and then, as I said, you know, the occasional Saturday night's main event, along with the premium live events on a Saturday. It means they have competition for AEW everywhere. And then when AEW runs a Sunday pay-per-view, they can run one of the B-level premium live events or an NXT premium live event. I think WWE wants to make sure that less and less people are watching AEW. And it may hurt some of their viewership, and I think they understand that. 
But from TKO's perspective, they went with the contract that gave him the most money, and that's $1.4 billion, which is a 40% increase over what Fox is paying them. It's a great deal for WWE. I understand why they made that decision. Now, I personally, again, love the SmackDown on Fox era. I thought it'd be worth it for Fox to re-up. I think Fox and WWE have had a good, not a great relationship, but a good relationship. And SmackDown is the number one show on broadcast cable and streaming of Friday nights. In the end, though, USA Network wanted the blue brand. And it'll be interesting to see now if they're both on cable. You know, if Raw is on FX, if SmackDown's on USA Network. Because right now we all agree SmackDown is the eighth show, even though Raw is three hours with Roman Reigns and stuff like that. SmackDown is the eighth show. If they're both on cable, it'll be interesting to see if they have an A or a B show. And if Raw potentially goes back to two hours, you know, now with them leaving the the USA Network, uh, I assume that they are able to negotiate in that contract. You know, does um somebody like FX or ABC, do they want Raw to only be two hours? And vice versa then, does SmackDown on the USA Network turn into the three-hour show? Do they extend SmackDown from 8 to 11 on Friday nights, basically expanding against Rampage uh, and taking out all of the AEW competition? So again, very interesting. The the NBA media rights deal, we'll see what happens with that. But I wanted to focus, you know, on the SmackDown media rights deal. I think it's a good deal for WWE. I think that they are looking for more deals. And I think the future of WWE right now looks extremely bright. And I'm interested to see how SmackDown looks when it comes to the USA Network in 2024 and who gets that Raw and NXT contract. Just got done talking about the media rights between obviously Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Something else that happened on Thursday was obviously a bunch of wrestlers cut. Now they say it's due to budget cuts. We know that obviously Endeavor was was looking to cut and, and trim the fat off the WWE contract and all some wrestlers that weren't really being used. Uh, now a lot of these cuts, I know a lot of people are upset, and it's upsetting. Yes, when people lose their jobs. But these people, like Mustafa Ali, he was a little bit relevant on NXT, never really got over for me on the main roster. Emma was barely used. Top Dollar, barely used. Rick Boogs, outside of Shinsuke Nakamura, barely used. Riddick Moss, outside of Baron Corbin, barely used. Aaliyah, barely used. Sean Benjamin, outside of the run two years ago with Cedric Alexander and the Hurt Business, barely used. You know, I think the two that are the most shocking are definitely Dolph Ziggler because, you know, he was a veteran talent, though he wasn't used for a long time either. Uh, he hasn't been seen probably in a couple of months. And then you have Elias, who after the Ezekiel gimmick just never got his foot back underneath him. He was over in 2018, 2019. There was peak Elias, and he never got back over that hump. So, you know, a lot of these wrestlers, uh, people are, are not – you know, terribly upset with. They're not terribly used. I understand when they trim the fat off those wrestlers. Obviously, it sucks when people lose their job. The biggest release, in my opinion, was one that happened on Friday, and that was this guy behind me, my virtual background on YouTube, the original bro, Matt Riddle. Because Riddle, 
You know, yes, he had an expensive contract, but Riddle was, you know, a mid-card stable. He had that great tag team run with RK Bro and Randy Orton, which seemingly put Riddle's career back on track. He even got a multiple main events and a spot with the undisputed Universal Champion, the head of the table, the tribal team, Roman Reigns. But when Randy Orton got injured last year, it almost felt like Riddle was trending water. You know, we had that feud with Seth Rollins that 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 ended in that uh, fight it with Daniel Cormier as the special guest referee. But that feud, outside of the personal match that they had at Clash of the Castle, uh, that never really got too off the ground. And then after that, again, Riddle was just kind of floating around. He had the little tag team over the last couple of weeks with Drew McIntyre. But outside of that, you know, we know Riddle's been very controversial. We know he's had some issues. Uh, dating back, obviously, to the suspension of the drug use a couple times in that view with Seth Rollins. Dating back to the incident at the airport when they got back to, from India a couple weeks ago, where Riddle was reportedly sent home after that. And I think after that decision, WWE decided they just cut bait with Riddle. They waited an extra day knowing that, hey, let's just trim the fat. Let's make Riddle his own story. Let's make it not about budget cuts. Let's make it a different reason uh, why Riddle was released, which is why I think there's a possibility. Listen, we've seen guys rehired, like a Tegan Knox, like a Braun Strowman, um, you know, like Nia Jax recently. I think there's a real case in a year or two, Riddle comes back, and maybe if Randy Orton gets back, we all want that RK Bro reunion that we did not get. Uh, RK Bro's last match together was that undisputed tag team championship match when they unified the titles with the Usos on SmackDown in May of 2022. We have not seen Randy Orton since, and I really felt like from that moment on, you know, Riddle had some tag teams with Shinsuke Nakamura, and he was trying to work it out with Sami Zayn and everything going on. But it was all tied back to they were going to get RK Bro back together. And I think Riddle just had too many strikes against him. Listen, Riddle is a very uh, thoughtful guy. Riddle is, is a great athlete, but he can rub some shoulders the wrong way. And that's only why he got released. Great talent. I think he's going to find success outside of the WWE. I think there's a chance that he could come back. Uh, now, I understand, you know, Triple H tried to fill in some depth with some of these guys. Obviously, top dollar of Hit Row, which I'm surprised they didn't release the entirety of Hit Row. You know, Emma, among a couple. Uh, you know, there's thought Zia Lee could have been cut. Tegan Knox, who was brought back under Triple H. There are definitely some wrestlers underutilized. You know, Rick Boos, Dana Brooke, who also just got cut. But, you know, WWE's roster is still talented. It still has depth. I understand why they wanted to add depth to the bottom of the roster because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But ultimately, when you're not being used because you're not getting over with the crowd, and some of these wrestlers, even the ones that Triple H brought back when he took over from Vince in July 22, were not getting over with the crowd. So I'm not as upset with everyone that those releases happen. Uh, again, I think the big one here is Riddle was caught on Friday night for more personal reasons rather than budget cuts. We wish Riddle is best. I think Riddle is going to be back in WWE soon. But ultimately, as we know, WWE, the machine, will carry on as usual. Last week, Brandon's Best Bets had its best week since we started doing this segment about two years ago on the Brands World Podcast. My best bets went 5-4-5. Five, five. 
And as a reminder, here were my picks. San Francisco minus 10 against the Giants Thursday night. Man, that was easy. How bad is Daniel Jones? New England minus two and a half covering against the Jets. We knew it was going to be a bad game, but we knew New England was going to be able to cover. Then you had Detroit minus three and a half. Boy, did they take down Atlanta. Atlanta looked bad. Pittsburgh plus two and a half against Vegas. I said you can't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. And obviously Philadelphia putting the pounding on Tampa Bay. Monday night, Philadelphia covered the five and a half. So those were my five best bets for week number three. I ended up going 11 and five in the money line. The games I missed, what about Indianapolis shocking Baltimore? You know, Houston shocking Jacksonville. Uh, my worst pick of the week was the Commanders. I got that completely wrong. I was buying the Sam Howell hype. And then they obviously uh, just got smashed by Buffalo Arizona, you know, upsetting Dallas, uh, as well as uh, the Chargers able to pull that one out late against Minnesota. So those were the only games I missed in the money line. I went 11 and 5, 30 and 18 this year so far in the money line, as well as 11 for 15 in best bets. Uh, last year at this time in the money line through the first three weeks. I was 24 and 24, so six games better. I was also six for 15 in best bet instead of 11 for 15. So we are off to a good start. I'm a little hot right now, uh, but let's get into our week four NFL picks and best bets. Thursday night game here, really interesting. Lions are favored by one and a half at Green Bay. We all know what happened the last time these two teams met up in this location. Week 18, last year, the Detroit Lions went into Green Bay and they ended Aaron Rodgers' run in Lambeau Field. This year is obviously a little bit different. I think the Lions were pissed off at the fact that they lost, you know, on that heartbreaker to Seattle the week before. They came out and pounded Atlanta. Green Bay has played well the first three weeks of the season, but they were down 17-0 in New Orleans. Derek Carr goes down. Jameis Winston cannot move the ball for about a quarter and a half. Jordan Love gets hot, and even without Aaron Jones, even without David Bakhtiari, Green Bay's able to take advantage, come back, and be down 17-0 incredibly win that game 18-17 thanks to the missed kick by Will Lutz. Listen, I don't know what to make of Green Bay. Some weeks Jordan Love looks great, other weeks he looks okay. Other weeks he looks bad. I think it's what we were expecting from a young quarterback that, again, sat three years by Aaron Rodgers. People forget Aaron Rodgers struggled in year one uh, replacing Brett Favre. And then he obviously popped and became the generational talent that he is. I think the Lions are more consistent. I think they are a better coach. I think Dean Campbell's going to get his guys ready to go. I think the Lions are going to win this game. I'm not totally confident about it, though. I admit it. I could see Green Bay winning it. So, again, I picked the Lions, but I'm not betting the one-and-a-half spread. Next game, we're going to London for the Falcons and the Jags. Now, the Jags are technically the home team here, but it is on a neutral field. They're favored by three points, and this is one of my favorite bets of the week. Jacksonville knows London. They've always played well there, and they got in Paris last week by Houston. Yes, it was a divisional rival, but they were like eight and a half point favorites, and they could barely move the ball. And over the last two weeks at home, Trevor Lawrence has struggled. 
Uh, I think that Atlanta's pass defense is not that good. I don't think their defense is good in general. I look for ETN to bounce back. I look for Kevin Ridley to bounce back. I look for Christian Kirk to bounce back. All with Trevor Lawrence. I think Jacksonville gets after Atlanta. I think Bijan Robinson could have a good game. They're trying to get Bijan and Drake London back on track. I said going into the year, I know Atlanta's two and one. I don't trust them. I don't trust Desmond Ritter. I think Jacksonville wins this game, and I'm betting them minus three. Next game, maybe the trickiest game to pick of the weekend, Baltimore at Cleveland. And I say that because, obviously, the Ravens lost to Indianapolis at home. They know that next week they also have to go to Pittsburgh. That's a very tough schedule where you go back-to-back on the road, divisional opponents at Cleveland at Pittsburgh. I think they're going to be so physically beat up from the Cleveland game, they're not going to be able to win the Pittsburgh game. So I think Baltimore, who has always played Cleveland well, especially in Cleveland, Lamar Jackson, when he's healthy, has always done damage against the Browns. I know the Browns are favored by two and a half. And yes, the Browns have a different defense. And Jim Schwartz, led by Zedarius Smith, led by Miles Garrett, led by all those guys in the secondary. The Browns are having one of the best defensive seasons the franchise has had in forever until they beat Baltimore, though. You know, some teams are just bad matchups, like San Francisco, the Rams, the Rams against Seattle. Um, You know, we've seen various examples. Houston against Jacksonville. If there's a Jacksonville for some reason, can never beat Houston with a matchup well against Indianapolis. So I don't think the Browns match up particularly well against Baltimore. I think they match up better against Cincinnati. So I'm going to take Baltimore here. Not going to bid it because, again, I think it's possible the Browns could win by a field goal. But I'm going to take Baltimore, my my real upset of the week, I would say here, Baltimore over the Browns in Cleveland. Next game, the Commanders are going to be mad after getting trunched by Buffalo, but they have to go on the road to Philly where they were the team last year who defeated the Eagles, who were, what, 8-0, 9-0 at the time. Uh, they went in there on a Monday night. If, 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 if you remember that game, Taylor Heineke played well. Uh, you know, Quez Watkins dropped a touchdown, then he fumbled. There was a lot of turnovers in that game. It was a weird game. Washington escaped with the victory after Alex Kemp called that personal foul penalty on Brandon Graham when Heineke went to, to the ground. So all of that here. Philadelphia hasn't even played their best football this year yet. They are 3-0. DeAndre Swift is second of the week in rushing after barely toting the ball in week one. They've had a dominant week two and week three. And what we've seen from, you know, New England, Minnesota, Tampa, they are playing a lot of double A-gap linebacker trying to muddy up the pocket of Jalen Hurst. So Philly is taking advantage of it. And with less down linemen, they are running the football down team's throats. It'll be interesting here because the commanders match up very well against Philly with their defensive line. You know, Monta Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. They match up well. It'll be Philly's biggest test of the season to date up front. Again, divisional game. Anything can happen. I'm not going to bet it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a closer game that people think. I would not be surprised if Washington hangs in there with Philly to the end. You know Sam Owl is going to play better. I think the Eagles do squeak out a victory, though, at Lincoln Financial Field. 
Next game, now Cincinnati bounced back, and I said last uh, last Thursday, the last podcast we did, if Joe Burrow was playing, I was going to pick the Bengals against the Rams. Joe Burrow did play. I picked Cincinnati. I was right. Burrow did not look great. They barely ran the ball with Joe Mixon, with Joe Burrow, who had an injured calf. I don't understand that, but Cincinnati's offense is explosive. Uh, Tennessee's offense is not which is why the way they beat the Chargers just looks worse on Brandon Staley because against New Orleans, they can barely move the ball. Against the Browns, they can barely move the ball. DeAndre Hopkins looks old. You know, we all didn't think that when he was looking for teams. And maybe that's the reason why teams didn't want to go get Diaz. Maybe he's just old. Maybe he's not getting enough separation. Uh, and Ryan Tannehill is a dinosaur, and because of that, you can stack 9, 10 in the box. They're not giving Derrick Henry any running room. And so for that reason, I think even with a bum leg, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T, Higgins, Tyler Boy, they haven't even got their full extent of the offense yet. But I think Cincinnati is going to be a little bit of a low scoring. They're going to run the football order more, but I think they put up enough points. I don't think Tennessee can keep up with them. Again, I said it going into the year. I don't think Tennessee is a great team. I don't think they have great weapons. And so for that reason, I am taking Cincinnati. Though would it surprise me if Tennessee covered the two and a half? No, which is why I'm not betting it, because Tennessee, although like New England, is one of those unpredictable teams in the league. You just never know what you're going to get week to week. Okay, I have bet the Steelers every single week this year. I'm two and one on them. I missed week one against San Francisco, but I get the last two. They are favored by three here against Houston. Uh, I know Houston beat Jacksonville last week. For a young team like C.J. Stroud going up against a defensive coach Mike Tomlin, they're going to give him different looks. The Houston offensive line is not great. They got to go up against T.J. Watt and that Pittsburgh pass rush. I don't like the matchup here for Houston, though I do think Tank Dell gets some work. He's been a good rookie for them. Stroud has a good connection with him. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think Pittsburgh wins. I think they cover the three points. And I'm once again betting Pittsburgh minus three. Speaking of a game I'm betting, this may not be smart, but I don't love all the lines this week. And I'll tell you what. I am going to take Indy minus one and a half to win and beat the Rams. And the reason why I'm going to take them to win and beat the Rams because I don't like the Rams' offensive line. I don't like the way Stafford played, played Monday night. And I think Shane Steichen has these Colts believing. And I like the way the Colts played against Baltimore. I like the way they look offensively. And I think that spread the ball out type type offense uh, with, with Anthony Richardson, the way Steichen ran with Jalen Hurts. They can run the ball with Zach Moss. I said they weren't going to miss Jonathan Taylor that much. They have a very good defensive line, but one by DeForest Buckner. Going into the year, I thought the Colts were going to be better than a lot of people thought. And the Rams, their offensive line's a mess. They still don't have a uh, cup. You know, that Nwoku kid is pretty good, uh, but I don't think he's special. And I just think Indy's able to run the football, and I think they're able to win a close ball game. Okay, this is the fireworks show of the week. We all saw Miami put up 70 points on the Denver Broncos. Now they got to go to Buffalo. And I said going into the year, these are the two teams destined to fight it out for the AFC East crown. And I'm going to take Buffalo here at home because I think they split throughout the regular season. I think Buffalo will win in Buffalo. I think Miami will win in Miami. 
I'm not going to bet it. Buffalo was favored by three. And you cannot tell, by the way, a lot of similar lines this week. A lot of two and a half, three-point lines, some very close lines. I think Buffalo, though, understands how to play Miami. It's not like Denver. You know, they're not a divisional opponent. I think a lot like New England, when you play Miami twice a year, you're going to figure it out. And naturally, in my opinion, when you score 70 points and you dominate like the way they did, unprecedented domination against Denver, which Denver was completely humiliated, which we'll talk about this next. It's why I do believe, uh, in in my opinion, that, that Denver is going to bounce back and beat Chicago. Both teams humiliated, though Denver more than Chicago. I just think Buffalo, you know, they have played well since that week one disaster. They know they they let the Jets game get away from them. They've taken care of business against Vegas. They've taken care of business against the Commanders. They're running the football more with James Cook. Josh Allen is still making spectacular throws, but they're not asking him like they did week one to play hero ball. I think that continues, and to be honest with you, I think Buffalo has Miami's number. I think Buffalo matches up well against Miami in the secondary for that reason. Buffalo at home. Next game, I already mentioned it. I got Denver bouncing back. Um, I don't know who's going to watch this game. This is going to be comically entertaining to watch Russell Wilson versus Justin Fields to see who is the worst quarterback. I said going into the year, Chicago side. I would have not fired Matt Nagy. Matt Eberflus is the wrong defensive coach. Uh, they they need an offensive coach to support Justin Fields, and it's just not happening. It, you know, they got worn out by Kansas City. The game wasn't even close. The DJ Moore addition, this is what concerns me. Usually if you're a quarterback, we know Chicago did not have great weapons, but usually a great receiver like DJ Moore can fix whatever receiver problems you have because usually a number one wide receiver takes the pressure off the number two. It takes the pressure off the number three. They're not running the football well. They're not throwing the football well. They cannot move the ball offensively. And until I see it happen, and the fact that Vegas has this and not even a pick-em at Chicago minus three, they have Denver on the road favored by three and a half, which means if this game was in Denver, they take Denver minus six and a half, which tells me Vegas thinks, Denver is a better football team. They have played better in the first half than Chicago. They just have to clean up their second halves. And again, as embarrassing as the Bears' loss was, at least they didn't lose 70-20. to 20. I think Denver bounces back in a big way. I think they beat Chicago. This next one is my uh, survivor pool pick this week. Now, I don't know if, if I should bet this part or not. It's an interesting game. You can't trust Minnesota to cover everything. But I like Minnesota to at least win and beat Carolina with Andy Dalton, who did play well last week against Seattle and the one that had a good game. But, you know, some people like me expected Carolina to maybe make the postseason. We thought the Frank Wright Bryce Young relationship uh, would be better than what it was early on. Now Bryce Young's already hurt. They got some injuries well on the defense side of the ball. It's not looking like it's going to be a good season for Carolina. For Minnesota, they still have Justin Jefferson. They have the young kid, Addison. They have Alexander Madison. They have all of these offensive pieces. Brian Flores now is the defensive coordinator with Daniel Hunter leading that charge, Harrison Smith. They have the pieces. 
They have just lost a lot of close games. Minnesota's not as bad as an 0-4 team. It's why I said last week, Minnesota and the Chargers remind me so much of each other. Some years they're lucky. Some years they're not. Some years they make the playoffs. Some years they don't. Uh, and this year just kind of feels like a bad year for Minnesota, but they're not 0-4 bad. I think they get the win against Carolina. Now the Saints, even with Jameis Winston, who's going to start for Derek Carr, who obviously suffered that shoulder injury, uh, the Saints offense did not even look that good with Derek Carr in there. They have not looked that good all year. But we know they have Tampa Bay's number. And I said it going into last Monday night's game with those big Eagles defensive linemen. They're going to force Baker Mayfield to see over those defensive linemen and force him to make tough throws. And I didn't think Baker Mayfield could do it. This Saints defense is really good. Marshawn Lattimore is going to take Mike Evans. They're going to bottle Baker Mayfield up. New Orleans is going to win the game. I'm not going to pick them for a best bet because I don't know how much their offense is going to produce. It's Jameis Winston, obviously, against former team in Tampa. But I think the Saints win the game. Next game. We got Chargers and Raiders. Chargers at home. They're favored by five and a half. Now, we can't trust the Chargers to cover, which I'm not going to bet them. But the Chargers, out of all the teams in their division, they actually match up well with Vegas. Vegas, ever since you know that game against the Chargers a couple years ago when it came down to Sunday Night Football and the field goal, they have struggled against the Chargers. They struggled with them last year. Herbert was throwing the ball all, all over the yard. And I'm interested now with new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. You just lost Mike Williams for the season down with an ACL injury. We saw Keenan Allen put up massive numbers. It's like Devontae Adams last week put up massive numbers for Vegas. It's like Jamar Chase put up massive numbers for Cincinnati. It's like Mike Williams did for the Chargers. It was a big day for wide receivers in week three. Was I don't want the Chargers secondary. They obviously have Derwin James. J.C. Jackson was out with the scratch. They really couldn't stop Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. So I think if Jimmy Garoppolo gets the ball on enough to Devontae Adams, they're going to be able to score points. I just don't see how this Vegas defense keeps up with the explosive Charger offense. We're expecting Austin Eckler to come back, and I think the Chargers win this game. Okay, now Arizona beating Dallas was a little bit of a shocker. I said I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona covered. The winning flat out is crazy. Maybe it's just Jonathan Gannon in a game plan on Dallas. Maybe Dallas took Arizona lightly. But we all know Arizona wants it to up in the draft. We know they're not going to beat San Francisco. Listen, is there a chance Arizona covers the large spread of 14? I think it's too much and two touchdowns. This game may be over by the second quarter. It may be at half. Who knows? San Francisco is going to only win the game. Not going to spend a lot of time. What I do want to spend a little bit of time on is, is this interesting game in Dallas. Because New England got their first win of the year last year, though it was not pretty. Their best offensive performance was week one against Philly. And that's not as much of a surprise anymore because Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien, you have six months to plan uh, and scheme and study Philly and figure out week one. They have not looked good against Miami. They have not looked good against the Jets in their division. Dallas, the question for them is going to be, they don't have Trayvon Diggs, but against the New England receivers, 
Are they going to be able to cover? Because they couldn't even cover Arizona receivers and Hollywood Brown last week. And they let Arizona run the football all over them. Ramondre Stevenson, Ezekiel Elliott, obviously, coming back to Dallas. New England ran the ball 35 times last week between Stevenson and Elliott against the Jets. Do they do the same? Do they ground and pound? Is this a low-scoring game like it was a couple years ago when they played in New England? Dak has to make a hero for a CD Lamb or somebody like that to win the football game in like a 20 to 16 scenario. Absolutely, I can see it. I'm not going to bet this game. I was thinking about taking New England plus the points because I think this game's going to be close. I think New England's going to run the ball. They're going to play defense. Mac Jones is not going to make mistakes. But in the end, they're not going to be able to keep up with Dallas's offense. Dallas is angry. They're mad. They're motivated. They'll play better at home. They'll get the three and one on the year. Okay, Zach Wilson can't pass. Uh, I don't care the Jets signed Trevor Simeon. I don't care about the Jets defense. I said it when Aaron Rodgers went down. Uh, the Jets season was over. If you think Zach Wilson's going to save the franchise, you're wrong. I think we all had a little bit of hope. That because Zach Wilson looked so good in preseason with Rodgers by his side, telling him what to do, and Rodgers in training camp, and Rodgers being there with him, maybe Zach Wilson would be a different quarterback. That's not the case. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid, they're going to shake it off if you get that reference there. Kansas City easily covers the nine and a half. And then finally, Seattle at the Giants. The Giants are favored by one and a half, and the NFL has decided once again to put the New York football Giants on prime time, and I don't understand it. I don't get it. Seattle is the better football team, in my opinion. I think that Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, you know, DK Metcalf, Pyro Laga, I think those guys, Seattle moves the ball on the Giants, who are not a very good football team, Pete Carroll, who's a defensive coach, going to strategize against Daniel Jones. This is the rare occurrence where I take a defensive coach over an offensive coach because of the quarterback on the Giants' side. The Giants are just not good. Uh, why the NFL thought the Giants were good because they won nine games last year when everybody in the world who knows football was telling you the Giants are not that good. I don't get it. Seattle wins. They cover the one and a half. Seattle is my dog pick this week for best bets. So let's review. Money line picks. Detroit over Green Bay. Jacksonville over Atlanta in London. Baltimore over Cleveland. Philly over Washington. Cincinnati over Tennessee. Pittsburgh over Houston. Indy over the Rams. Buffalo over Miami. Denver over Chicago. Minnesota over Carolina. New Orleans over Tampa. Chargers over Vegas, San Fran over Arizona, Dallas over New England, Chiefs over the Jets, and then Seattle over the New York football Giants, as they like to call themselves, on Monday night. My five best bets for week four in the National Football League, coming off a five-for-five week last week. Jacksonville minus three in London against Atlanta. Pittsburgh minus three against Houston. Indy minus one and a half against the Rams. Kansas City on the road covering nine and a half against the Jets. And then my one dog of the week, Seattle Monday night, plus one and a half against the New York Giants. Again, thank you guys very much for understanding 
me me being out on Tuesday with travel. I'm sorry we did not get to the week three recap. I am officially going into week four, 30 and 18 in money line picks, 11 for 15 in best bets. Again, thank you guys for listening to my college football thoughts, USC Colorado, my thoughts on WWE, USA Network, Friday Night SmackDown, leaving Fox to go there in 2024 along with the regional releases. Listening to my week four picks and best bets. A wild, a loaded show. We will be back next Tuesday where I promise you we will do the week four NFL recap. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. And, and...